Welcome to the Tutor Podcast, the only weekly show for anyone who is in the business of helping people. If you're a tutor, a teacher, or a coach, the Tutor Podcast will help you start, grow, and love your tutoring business in plain English without the buzzwords and BS. If you want to make more money and make more of a difference, the Tutor Podcast will be with you every step of the way. Hi, it's Neil here with episode 49 of the Tudor Podcast, bringing everything you need to know to start, grow and love your tutoring business. Now, one of the things that keeps coming up on the Tudor forums that I frequent, trying to find out more information for me, and this particularly pertains to musical instrument teachers, is getting the buggers to practice. I conducted a couple of polls on the tutor groups and the one big issue that stood between the students and really achieving what they wanted and the biggest frustration for teachers was that the kids didn't want to practice. Weirdly, I didn't even put that in my polls because my students don't appear to have much of a problem getting around to picking their guitars up. So there might be a nugget in here which helps you. There are a lot of tools that I'm going to give you that are not really mainstream thinking. But maybe some of this will resonate with you and will be helpful to you in your teaching business. So let's get cracking and get on with it. So really what we're talking about here is resistance on the part of students. Now, I don't really mind if this is a child student or whether it is an adult student. A lot of my students are actually adults. As we go back to your demographic, you'll know how to tailor some of this stuff to suit the people you're dealing with face-to-face on a daily or weekly basis. But it's all about resistance. Usually what's setting up resistance, if someone is paying me good money to come and spend time with me, to learn what I know, to get what they want, why are they not doing the very thing that's going to put the success under their fingertips? One of the things I've figured out over the years is it's semantics. If you just pause for a moment and ask yourself how much fun it is to practice Think about the semantic loading that goes with practice. Now, for me, and for a lot of my students, as I asked them about this, is that it's grey, endless, thankless, and it's not a lot of fun to practice. And if I tell them that they've got to practice, I've just compounded it. I just made it even worse, because when I tell someone that they've got to do it, they're being given orders. They... As tutors, we probably don't want to work within someone else's rigorous framework. We tend to be mavericks, free spirits. So being told we've got to do something probably is going to rub us up the wrong way. And I think that's true with most of my students. So I tend not to use that. I tend to restructure the language to make that work better for me. For instance, with the kids... If they're not practicing at home and I get wind of that or I can tell from the results they're not producing, 
then I will point blank tell them they must not practice or forbid them to practice. Now, if they're resistors and contrarians, they're going to look at me and go, you're a prat. I'm going to, I'm going to practice, you know. They're going to push back against that because anytime you set up compulsion, you will receive pushback. In industry, we used to call it the FU factor, and you can figure out what that means for yourself. Now, what I like to do instead is to take away the idea of any kind of compulsion. I always tell them it's, it's an option that they could try. But I don't use the word practice. What I usually would use instead is explore these ideas. Experiment. Fool around with this. Walk about with it, see what happens. And in the cases where the student has been bought by their parents and effectively they are the parents living out their ambitions vicariously to play the instruments, I conspire with them and subvert the parents in a lot of ways. For instance, I won't say, you're not to practice this week. I kind of figure out what their motivations are. And sometimes... You can get a lot of leverage with a young student by suggesting that they don't practice this week so they feel like they're bunking off. And then I'll kind of drop my voice and go, well, what you might want to do instead is just make a load of noise and really annoy your parents. And then I'll give them a big wink. And if you can get a youngster to annoy their parents, particularly if the parents are very controlling then the chances are that they will, as I encourage them to, grin like a maniac, make a load of noise, and get at their parents' noses. That can be a very powerful motivator, and I think if you can identify the motivators of your students, then you probably will have the upper hand in getting compliance in terms of repetition and practice, whatever you want to call it. We're in the compliance business. As teachers, we can demonstrate and hone the technical skills, but at the end of the day, what we really want is compliance. We want them to do what they're told and they'll get the results. You can tell them, do the drills, get the skills. It's not rocket science. I tell them it's not magic. This is a pathway and all we have to do is take one path at a time. That's just one step down the pathway at a time. So as you've probably gathered, I'm not a massive fan of having a, a rigid structure. You know, I don't give my students practice logbooks because it's just giving them something else to do. Why not just let them play, encourage them to play and make a load of noise and have some fun? You'll get better results this way. Now, you can get the parents on board in this. You don't necessarily want the parents telling the kids that they've got to practice because is there anything more guaranteed that a child or a, a person will push against them being told to do something so i'll often pull the parents to one side and say listen don't nag them to practice just tell them how nice it is to hear them playing and make some noise you know, say things like, it's good to hear you with your guitar. We're so glad you're doing that. Be proud of them, encourage them. 
even if they're making the most god-awful racket, encourage them for making that god-awful racket. Because the god-awful racket is the necessary precursor to excellence. So I think it's vitally important to get the student to want to do it. And they're one of the ideas that I've stolen from a guy called David Snyder, an American um, hypnotist and NLP practitioner, which he has in turn borrowed from a, a book by a guy called Gregory. It's called Red Gold. The process is called the autonomizer. And this, this is a great way to take on resistance, whether it's in yourself or with someone else. So the process is actually very simple. You would perhaps say to, I'll say to one of my students, I noticed you haven't played your guitar this week. What happened? I'll just let them tell me what happened. And then I'll ask them how bad on a scale of one to ten they don't want to do it. With zero being, you know, they really want to do it and ten being they really hate it. And whatever figure they give me, whether it's a nine or a ten, that they really don't want to play. I ask them why they didn't rate it higher. And a very interesting thing happens now is they start to tell me all the reasons why they didn't rate it higher than saying eight out of ten for not wanting to practice. And after them telling me why, and me keep asking, well, why is that? There's always a why behind every question. You'll find that they'll start to rate their aversion to playing or practicing, if you prefer the term, considerably lower than they did the first time. And eventually, you'll find they're arguing that they really want to do it. It's a fascinating process. I recommend the book, Red Gold. If you can get a hold of it, it's very expensive to buy. You can buy it secondhand, but put aside a big chunk of cash to get hold of a copy. You can get on short-term loan from the Wayback Machine at archive.org PDFs of this book. But for now, I'll just say, take the process from that. It was evolved around the athletes in the 70s and 80s in the Russian Olympic program. So that's a great tip. Start to get the student to argue in favour of what it is they don't want to do. It's fascinating. My next tip is this. Be cool. If they come back and defiantly tell you they haven't practised, shrug your shoulders. So uh, that was last week. We can't change that. I would always ask them to begin to think about what they'd like to do next week. Because you can't change the past. Now, I'm probably going to rub a few teachers up the wrong way here. But I'm not really here to massage your ego any more than you're there to massage my ego. I want you to lose your ego because it's not about you. There's no point in us dogmatically clinging on to what we did and the way we were taught. I think we should all develop a lot more flexibility and a little bit more sympathy and empathy for our students. 
always remember that if they don't do the thing, it's your fault. It's your problem and you should be dealing with it. Don't condemn them for not doing it. Find out why they didn't do it. And then give them some better choices and some more motivation to get on and do it. Maybe as a guitar player, I have a very easy time. I just tell them to play. I tell them to muck around, make some noise. Play some rock and roll. Just go and have some fun with it. Now, if they have their hands on the guitar, are they practising? Or are they just playing? I don't really know if there is a distinction between that, but to all intents and purposes, the more time you spend on the neck, the better player you're likely to be. If you ask them to play, fool around, have some fun with the technical exercises and all the fun stuff that you give them, then they will make progress. And it, you know, it's practice by any name you want to call it. I just tell my students that the best way to make progress is remember there is no magic to this. I tell them I don't believe in talent, which I fiercely don't believe in talent. I believe in talent being a, a sort of a shortcut marker word, if you like, a placeholder for technical skills, the ability to fearlessly make mistakes and to learn from the mistakes. And if possible, have a system that will progress them in the path they want to go on. There's no magic to it. It's just a pathway, as I said. And every single step on the pathway will take them closer to where they want to go. And I often ask them to think about how could they make it more fun to play guitar and make a load of noise? They will come up with some very interesting ideas. You don't have to supply them, let them supply it so they're operating from their own motivations. There are two kinds of motivation. I don't know if you've come across this idea before. It's something I learned in NLP. It's motivation towards something, motivation away from something. So, for instance, if I am standing outside in the snow and I'm being blown inside out by a blizzardy east wind, then my motivation is to get away from that. But if I can look through the window into the house and I can see my mate with a cup of hot chocolate sitting next to a big log fire, beckoning me in because he's got a great joke, that's motivation towards. Now, away from motivation will get you moving in the short term, but it doesn't sustain motion in anything like the same way that motion towards a desired outcome. So... I try to figure out what it is they really want and then encourage any tiny actions, however small, that will move my students in that direction. I also think long-term. What I have come to understand over the years, particularly teaching adults who've wanted to play for sometimes 30 or 40 years, maybe even more than that, that it's actually a lifetime thing. I'm not looking to score massive goals and radical progress in the short term. What I'm aiming for, I think, is a lifetime of ongoing love and learning with the instrument. I 
always want to cultivate a love affair with the instrument, within the student. And alongside that, I, I'm always aiming to improve the student's sense of self-respect, self-regard, self-liking, self-belief, confidence, to give them a almost a love affair with themselves. So I'm trying to make the guitar and making music as inviting as possible for the student. I'm always trying to notice what works for them. So if they come in and they've made some progress during the week, then I'll say, that's interesting. You've got a lot better this week. How much time did you actually spend on the instrument? How, how often did you go back and play? And sometimes they'll say, well, just once. I'll say, great, well, once, and you've gone that far once, wow. Well, when you do it twice next week, you'll probably be even more comfortable and a lot better at that. So I always try and reframe whatever they've done, whatever they come up with in a positive way and be flexible about my approach. I'm not going to give them a logbook and tell them they've got to do it. For me, that would be the death of it for me as a student. So unless I've got an oddball student who really thrives on being told and micromanaged every single day, then I'm just going to try and make it as much fun as possible for my students. If they can't get their hands on the guitar, I'll invite them to consider using mental rehearsal, which is a mainstay within athletics and sports, of imagining themselves playing whatever piece they want to play, whatever they're working on at the time, with great ease and confidence, with a smile on their face, and create that picture in their mind. Initially, I'll ask them to create a dissociated picture where they're looking at themselves doing the thing beautifully from the outside and then to associate themselves and look out through the eyes of the image at the back of the guitar neck and notice what's going right. It's a very powerful idea. There's a lot of research that says that mental rehearsal is very close in terms of its benefit to real-world, hands-on rehearsals. And, of course, for the student is the big benefit that they can rehearse perfectly. They don't fall down in a mental rehearsal. And if they do, well, they can fix that quite easily. Now... Apart from having an atmosphere where it's okay for them to do it and they're not being told to and it's all their choice, I think one of the most compelling things you can do to gain compliance from your students is to tell them to do or encourage them to do what it is they want to do without you or I interfering and giving them irrelevant pieces and technical exercises that bore them silly. Give them content that's actually fun and interesting to play. If you can work on something, even if it's not the music you love and the music you grew up with and the music you love to play, let's remember here, we are the servants of our customers. We don't want, well, I don't want my students to show up and fawn and grovel and just do all the stuff I want to do. I want them to do what they want to do. To gain their love affair with the instrument and the music that they love. 
on some of the, especially the guitar teacher forums, there is an absolute seething rage against rap music, for instance. Now, a lot of the youngsters show up and they want to play rap. As a guitar player, as a musician, there's not a great deal of musical content within that. But what there is, is rhythm. So I can go in through the front door with rhythm there. And I can harness what the student wants. And within a very short space of time, usually they're, they're looking for something more interesting than another rap song. They want more depth. And it's then possible to bring in more technical stuff and to mix that in with the fun aspects of it. And I'm always working on that. It's a long game. And one of the things I think we really have to work on with students is trust. They have to trust that it's okay for them to show up and say, you know, I've had a crap week, I've had mock exams, everything's gone wrong. And just smile, shrug it off and say, well, you're here now. I can't change what happened last week. It's history, it doesn't really matter. What matters to me now is that next week you haven't got your mock exams, so when you pick your guitar up, it's going to be so cool that you don't have exams on your back and you can just kick back, make a load of noise, grin like a maniac, crank the amplifier up and really piss your parents off. You okay with that, dude? Usually they just grin, giggle, and we're done. I know they're going to get the guitars out. And that's an interesting point for me, is do everything that you can to lower the resistance that gets between your students and the instrument. All of my guitars are out on hangers at home. There are nearly 60 of them. They're all over the place. I'm sure they're breeding. But they're all out of their cases. They all hang up. The baby grind in the teaching room has got the lid up. It's got the, the full board up. It's good to go at zero notice. Everything is ready to go. So I encourage my students to put their guitars out where they can be seen on hangers. If they're playing electric guitar, I want the amplifiers right there, plugged in, ready to go. If they're playing acoustic, just pick it up. I'll often ask them to put it next to the computer so that when Windows loads up another one of those updates that takes forever, they can have a strum. Whatever it is that puts the instrument in their line of sight and invites them to pick it up. I encourage them to do that. I encourage them to do it a little bit at a time. One of the big problems for students is that they are overwhelmed, frequently overwhelmed by having a new piece. Personally, I find it very productive to slice things up. Like my time management book elephant sandwiches slice it up very thin you can eat the whole element the elephant that way the thinner the slice the easier it is to get compliance from your students and to have them work at it now that thin slice might be just play the first note the first bar just play the intro start with a chorus have a look at it See if you can notice anything interesting about this song. Particularly 
resistance students, I'll often tell them, just pick your guitar up and cuddle it. Because if you can get a guitar student, for instance, if you can get them to cuddle it, it almost becomes like a shield, a safe place for them. It's comforting to pick the guitar up. I ask them to do things in very short bursts. You know, I don't want them to play for four or five hours on end. They'll be bored stupid if they're just doing technical exercises. But what about if they have an instruction to just play for 25 seconds? Odd numbers like that are very powerful. Just play for 19 seconds. Play for three minutes and 17 seconds dead. And they say, why three minutes, 17 seconds? I say, because that's how long it takes to boil my electric kettle. And next to my electric kettle, on a stand, is my saxophone. So when I make myself a cup of tea, I pick my saxophone up. And as the kettle's boiling, I'll have a few minutes just playing my saxophone. And that is how I learned to play saxophone, when I'd given up the guitar in dismay in my 20s because I was so bad at it. So what that, what that drives is frequency and repetition. The more often a human being returns to an activity, the more they will become adapted to perform that activity. It's not a one-off thing. Practicing eight hours on a Sunday isn't going to have the same effect on anyone as 20 minutes a day, every single day. 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night, that's 14 repetitions a week rather than one ball-achingly dull session on a Sunday. So get creative about it, guys. If we're telling students they've got to practice, they're just going to get brassed off. That's going to drive churn and turnover of your students. It's bad for business. Encourage them to do the very thing they want to do, to play the music they want, to make loads of mistakes, to have some fun doing it. And your students will be happier and they will comply and they will make more music. They'll have more fun. They'll make more progress and they will recommend you to their friends. So maybe that's why I don't really have an issue getting my students to practice because I don't want them to practice. I really want to play the instrument. I want to fall in love with the process of making music to appreciate the beauty of the instrument and to appreciate themselves and the process in which they're engaged, the progress they're making. And just notice how much fun they can have for no good reason whatsoever while making a boatload of noise. Now, as you can probably tell, that kind of chokes me up because I didn't have that encouragement as a kid. So this would be a good time for me to sign off with, as my voice is about to pack up, next week. That's all I've got time for today, but next week I'm going to be talking, hopefully with a better voice than this, in episode 50. 50 episodes, can you believe that already? I didn't think I had that much to say about teaching, but I've got tons to say. And it's great to hear from you. If you email me, it's info at neilcamido.com. When people give me feedback, you send me ideas, you ask for materials and things, 
I get a massive buzz off knowing that I'm doing some little bit of good and helping someone else get what they want. So next week, I'm going to be encouraging you to shout about your business, not whisper, to get out of your own way and start marketing yourself, getting yourself known so that you can have a better business that pays you good money for doing what you love with people you like day in, day out. Remember the two golden rules are don't do anything that isn't fun and don't deal with tossers. So just burn those thoughts in the back of your mind. That's all I've got time for today, but do email me your ideas, your feedback, your comments to info at neilcamada.com. Remember to subscribe to the Tudor Podcast so you get all the updates. Find me on Twitter, it's neilcamada1 or the Tudor Podcast. And for all you guitarists out there, friend me on Facebook. There's only one Neil Camado on there. And I'll add you to Guitar Zones, my group, where I'll be sharing some of my ideas and teaching practices, my insights and the way I demonstrate certain things. And I'll gladly add you to that group. So, until next time, have a fabulous day. And remember to keep pushing, keep pursuing your dreams, never give up. My name is Neil Camero. Have a fabulous day and I will see you next week on the Tutor Podcast. Bye-bye. Get in touch with the Tutor Podcast via email or social media and the Tutor Podcast team will be listening. Subscribe on iTunes and you'll automatically get the latest episode directly sent to your device. And remember to share, rate and review TTP so that we can help other people to start, grow and love their tutoring businesses.